the word of God to us this morning. But I say, says Paul, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you... As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. God of grace, I pray you would speak to us this morning through your word. And that we would be open to different areas in our hearts and minds that need to be given over to you. However we've come in here, we... we, Ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in us. And whatever you're going to ask of us, we want to say to you already, because we trust you, whatever you ask of us, we will do it. Amen. All right, guys, you can take a seat. I hear you guys are so obedient. You were going to keep standing until I said, <laughs> what do we do? What do we do? There's no instructions. Uh, some of you are familiar with uh, jelly bellies. You ever had, have you ever indulged in some jelly bellies? They're considered the gourmet uh, jelly beans, and they've got great uh, fruit flavors. Um, however, a few years back, some horrible sadist came up with the idea of bean boozled. Some of you are familiar with bean boozled, uh, where and, and some of the flavors have evolved over time. But basically, what you do is you get a bag that's mixed, and they have some good flavors, and they have oh, some horrible, horrible flavors, um, and, and you don't know which is which. They look identical. So just some examples of what you might get or what you might get. You might get strawberry banana smoothie, but the other one that looks just like it is dead fish. You might get coconut, or the one that looks just like it is spoiled milk. You might get tutti frutti or stinky socks. As a father of a 15-year-old, you do not want stinky socks. Lime or lawn clippings, not as bad unless you have a dog, I guess. Uh, Buttered popcorn or rotten egg. Blueberry toothpaste, not so bad. (laughs) Or peach or barf, okay. Chocolate pudding or canned dog food. Those are your options, but they all look the same, and you can't cheat. You can't go, doesn't matter. There's no smell. They look exactly the same. A while back, my daughter thought it would be fun for us to have a competition, put the two same colored ones, the ones that look the same, down. And I think it was seven times in a row, I got the bad ones. They thought that was quite funny, and we all lamented that it wasn't videoed, because it would have made a good YouTube video. In the text that uh, we read this morning, the Apostle Paul is writing to a small church in the town of Galatia, and he's explaining to them that they have an option in front of them. 
He calls it walking in the spirit or following the flesh. Walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. And when he says walk in the spirit, he means walk in a way where the spirit of God has ultimate say in your life. Walk in a way that the Spirit has ultimate say in your life. When he says walk in the flesh, he's referring to those things that are destructive to us and to others, those things that look good on the outside, but in reality are dangerous and fruitless. When he says walk in the flesh, he's talking about the kind of life that's lived as if that's all there is, is our flesh. That there's no one, we don't answer to anyone, and there's no life outside of what we are doing right now. So here's the thing. Both of those paths say that they offer the same thing. Both of those paths promise freedom. Watch the commercials. Look at the ads. They promise freedom. They promise purpose. They promise ultimate life. But Paul is saying that only one of them truly delivers the freedom and the purpose and the life that they offer. Only one of them can truly deliver it. And Paul's point is this, life outside of the spirit is a life of slavery, not freedom. So don't believe it. Even though the jelly bean looks the same, it is going to leave a very bad taste in your mouth. In verse 5, sorry, in verse 1 actually of chapter 5, he kind of frames the whole chapter. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. That's why we're free. Not to live following those things anymore. Christ has set us free for freedom. So stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back there. It does not bring the life that it says it's going to bring. And you can't live with one foot in both worlds. It doesn't work. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. We cannot live with a foot in both worlds and think that we can pull that off. One of them will win out. You, you cannot serve your family and work. It doesn't work. You're, one of them is going to win out or one of them is going to suffer. You cannot cheer for the Canucks and the Leafs. You can't do both. You can't say you love music and then listen to country. It does not... It, uh, is that too close? Too close. Too raw. One has to dominate. Right? It's true of our spiritual health. As well, we can't, we can't grow the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh in the same garden. One will overtake the other. And Paul is comparing walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh and, and, and what each beneath the surface is truly offering and where each one leads and how it manifests. And, uh, there's a few things he wants us to know. And, and there's three that I'm going to share with you this morning. One is, the first is this, the flesh teases, but the Spirit feeds us. The flesh teases, but the Spirit truly feeds us. In verse 16, he says, but I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you go this route, you won't go that route. You'll, you'll live in this. So here's the big idea that Paul is, is, is giving us in this text. In Jesus, you and I are offered life, and life more abundantly. The flesh promises the same things, but it can't deliver them. It says, I'll give you freedom. I'll give you abundant life. Just, just do these things. Just follow this path. Paul says it ends in slavery. You become a slave to those things that you thought you once were in charge of. And many of us know what this looks like in our lives, if we're honest. It's, it's also a continual moving target. We think, oh, if I get that, then I'm going to have joy. Then I'll have freedom. Then I'll have peace in my heart. And we grab it, and then we realize that the, it's been, if the target's been moved. Oh, no, I need that now, now too. And we keep going on the treadmill. 
back when uh, Pirates of the Caribbean was still a creative movie-making endeavor, before Johnny Depp had sold out just a little bit of his, of his soul, <laughs> there was a scene in the original, uh, the original Ca- um, Pirates of the Caribbean movie with Captain Barbosa, played by Jeffrey Rush. And he had spent his life trying to find this treasure. Because if he had this treasure, he would have all the abundance that any human could ever imagine. All the freedom, all the the prestige, and the identity would be his and his crew's if only they could find this treasure. And the more that they lived, they found this treasure, and the more they spent this treasure, and the more they lived in the flesh, the more their flesh disappeared and they became lifeless. Animated corpses. And explaining his curse to Miss Turner, Kira Knightley, he says this. He says, the more we gave them away. So I got to do the voice. The more we gave them away, the more we came to realize the drink would not satisfy. Food turned to ash in our mouths and all the pleasurable company in the world could not slake our lust. We are cursed men, Miss Turner. Compelled by greed we were, but now we are consumed by it. Thank you. <laughs> As all, as all habitual sin leads, they were in charge of it at first. We are in charge of it. And one day we turn around and realize we are being ruled by it. Paul says, don't go down that road. That's where that, load, that, that road leads, to slavery, to sin. You've been, you've been redeemed. You've been made free. Don't go back to slavery. Everything that they were promised, everything that we get promised, if we just lived for ourselves steals more and more life from us, more and more abundant life from us. The spirit and the flesh both promise the same thing, freedom, but they both, they both promise life, but only one can deliver. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Spirit saying, let's go. Let's go to freedom. Let's live in freedom. This is the path to freedom. But the flesh is making the same promises. And it's leading us to a mirage where we'll find our mouths full of sand and ash. The flesh teases, but the spirit feeds us. Secondly, Paul wants us to know that the flesh, the life of the flesh produces strife, but the spirit produces life. And all this to say, guys... There's nothing wrong with our flesh. God created our flesh. God created our our bodies. But when we live as though that's it, that's when we start going down a dangerous road. Just the satisfying of the flesh. The flesh produces strife, but the spirit produces life. Paul's saying basically here, can we just be real, Galatia? Can we just be real, Port, Campus? And he lists these things in verses 18 to 21. We know where the works, the labor, the ethic of the flesh leads us. Watch the news. We know where it leads. It leads to warped sexuality, the worship of other things, jealousy, anger, division. Paul is saying, you know this, guys. You know where this leads. It's not life. It's death. How, how can you have the kingdom of life in you when you pursue those things? How can you expect to have life in your body when you pursue those things? So he's given them a bit of a, a wake-up call giving us, you and I, a bit of a wake-up call to to anyone who'd say, I'm Christ, but I'm not interested in living a life that is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Paul does not lighten this. (laughs) He He does not say it's easy. 
It says in verse 24, we've been crucified. We've crucified our flesh. That doesn't sound like easy talk. So when we say, well, that's hard. Paul knows. He gets it. See, the one thing about the gospel is, Jesus lays out the difficulties right from the start. He says, if you follow me, you're going to have a lot of trouble. The devil doesn't do that. The devil offers something, and he does not let you know where it leads until way later. Jesus lays that out right at the beginning. Because all the benefits are worth it. Not so with the promises of the evil one. So does this mean we never sin? Of course it doesn't mean we never sin. We are continually being worked on in these areas, these fruits of the Spirit. But for a Christian, when we are walking in the Spirit, sin at, at the most ought to be like an annoying corpse that's yelling for us to feed it. Right? Much like Barbosa. The flesh produces strife. The Spirit produces life. Then Paul points this out. He says that the flesh enslaves us, but the Spirit saves us. The flesh will enslave us, but the Spirit saves us. In verse 18, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. By, by under the law, he means you're not condemned. It, it, it's code for saying, if you try to live a life where you are the highest authority, you will never find true freedom. There will always be a, an unseen weight on you if you are, are the highest authority in your life. But when you are led by the Spirit, you're saved from the burden of a few things. There's, there's a, a burden. That, first of all, you're, you're saved from the burden of secrets because there's no freedom in secrets. But there's a few other things, especially for us as, as Christians as we reflect on it. One of the things we're saved from is self-salvation. Being, trying to be our own God. You and I make crummy gods. We're horrible at it. I've never sat across a table from someone who said, you know what, I think I am God. I think I'm my own God. I've never seen anyone say that. Never heard anyone say that. But I have sat across from the table from people who've said, I know what God wants me to do. I know what scripture tells me to do. And I don't care, I'm not going to do it. And I've seen where that's led for them. I've seen that's where that's led for people who love them. And the brokenness that it leaves in its wake when we say that we will be the highest authority and we will be God. There are a lot of other side effects of playing God that we, we often don't think of, but that gnaw away at us. One is, if we're the highest authority, then we have to figure out where true fulfillment comes from. That's why we see people leading, going in so many different directions. If, if it's up to me, if I'm, if I'm my own savior, I've got to find out what the meaning of life is on my own. And pursue things that will bring meaning to my life. If we're the highest authority, we have to carry that weight. That's on you and I. That's what we have to decide if we're in charge. And so we look in all the places that Paul lists. In drunkenness and anger and division and sexual immorality. So we run in this direction. And that doesn't work. So then we run in this direction. And we don't find fulfillment there, there's always this gnawing at us that, that that can't be it. That didn't deliver. That turned to ash in my mouth, so I'm going to run after this. And we just end up exhausted trying to answer questions that Christ has already answered. To be something that Christ already is. It is tiring trying to be God. <laughs> trying to bring meaning and purpose in our lives. It's an impossible task. The second thing that happens when we, especially as Christians, claim to be Christ followers but refuse to walk in the Spirit is that we settle for empty religion. 
We settle for empty religion. One of the big issues facing you and I and, and the Galatians here is that when we, when we think of the invitation into the kingdom of God that, that we have through Jesus Christ as just an entrance but not our new reality, we fall back into law. Meaning that although God saved us from sin, we see it more as a kind of a mechanical, pragmatic thing that God had to do so that relationship could be fixed rather than a God who desires us and loves us and gave himself fully for us. So the gospel just becomes this kind of calculation so that we get saved rather than a loving God who pursues us. That will affect the way we walk in here on a Sunday morning when John welcomes us into a time of worship. That'll affect how we feel when the word of God is opened up and read aloud, when we pray together before an almighty, loving God who desires. He doesn't just love you. He actually likes you. We end up living out what some call fear-based behavioral modification. Fear-based behavioral modification. That is empty religion that basically says, thanks that I'm in, but I just want to make sure we're cool, God. So I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep going to church. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep doing this. And if I mess that up, man, I hope I don't get you on a bad day. That the gospel is the door that God welcomed us into. But if we have a bad week, he's going to shove us back out. That's not the gospel. That's not where the life of the spirit is lived. I want things to go well with me, so I better offer some service. That kind of faith, as it's acted out, is, is motivated by fear. That gospel is, it, like, like I said, it's like a, a door that we think is swinging both ways. We've got to be careful we don't upset our loving Father. And if that's what motivates us to come to church on Sunday, we are going to stand like this during worship. We're going to check our phones during worship. Everyone's <laughs> going, am I doing this? It'll change the way we worship. The fact is, is that the gospel, the cross of Christ, all that Jesus has done for us and saved us from, he saved us from that, that kind of ongoing pursuit of, can I please God? Can I please? That's what made the gospel so different. That's what made even Judaism so different is that God had revealed his heart to his people and called them loved before they even did anything. We've got to stop trying to be our own saviors. That's what walking in the Spirit saves us from, from living a life of, have I done enough for God today? <laughs> just, just to keep him okay with me today. If, when I know my wife is stressed, and there's a few things I can do to alleviate, to alleviate her stress. One is probably shut up. That'll probably help. Stop talking. Sometimes that helps. But I, if I know she's stressed and she's going to be coming home, then may, one of the things I can do is maybe clean the house run all over, turn up the music, turn on some Ben Rector, run all over the house and, and clean it up, even the spots that I don't ever want to clean and we kind of put furniture in front of them or whatever, even those spots. But there's, there's a way to approach that when I love her and I know she loves me that is very different than the way I approach that if I think she's going to come home and freak out because the house isn't clean. Right? That's drastically different. There's a joy in doing it when I know I'm loved. There's a joy in doing it when I know I'm not gaining any more desire or love from her in doing it. Some appreciation, maybe. But there's, there's a work that's being done in me when I'm not a slave to it, that there's a joy in it. There's a growth in it. That's how we're to approach 
God the Father. That's how we're to approach when we come here and live in community and worship together. That kind of joy of expressing in response to the love that is already ours. That's the difference between walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh. It's the difference between between fear-based behavioral modification and love-based transformation, which is what we're called to. Love makes an action joyful and fulfilling. That's why love is the first characteristic of the fruits of the Spirit. And so Paul is asking us this morning to look at two realities. We can go to the root of the flesh, and, and we can try to save ourselves, find our own fulfillment, our own joy, or we can trust the gospel to continue its work as you and I walk in the Spirit. As John said a few weeks ago, let the grace that saved you be the grace that sustains you. We don't graduate from grace and then try to find some other ways to please God. We continue to unpack the grace that God has already given to us. Living in forgiveness and mercy and grace. And this is what we're going to explore over the next couple of months. As we look at the different fruit of the Spirit. The different characteristics, rather, of the fruit of the Spirit. It's in this soil of the Spirit that we can grow in all of those things. And that truly do bring life. That are, that are the natural outcropping, the natural growth that, incur, that occurs in those who belong to Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We can all find something on that list. We can find all of those things on that list to work on. So how do we grow this kind of fruit in our lives? If, if this is the source... If this is the source of living a life of joy and contentment in Christ, in this new reality that is the gospel, it's the natural outcropping of the Spirit of God at work in us. What does that look like? If it delivers what it promises, how do we nurture it? How do we grow, live in the life of the fruit of the Spirit? There's two things I'll hit you with before we we end the message. This is where the fruit of the Spirit is found. There's two areas where we will find we can, we'll, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit grows. The fruit of the Spirit, we find a deeper connection to the fruit of the Spirit when we find a deeper connection to Christ and a deeper connection to others. A deeper connection to Christ and a deeper connection to others. The fruit of the Spirit is grown in the soil of Christ and community. That's where it grows. You will not grow it anywhere else. Nowhere else has the right soil for it. First, in Christ. In John 15, 4-5, Jesus says this. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Don't ever mix those up. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying, don't expect to have fruit grow on you as a branch if you are not connected to the source of life and fruit. Don't expect to be Christ-like if you're disconnected from Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, a small, a small Jesus. Literally what Christian means, a small Christ. 
Don't expect to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness in your life if you've disconnected yourself from the source of those things, from true love, from true peace. Everything else will be a jelly bean that almost looks like it, but when we taste it, we realize it does not satisfy in the same way, and then we'll be, we'll have a bucket, and we'll, anyway. It sounds ridiculous to say that the only way that we can flourish in the Christian life is to actually live with Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is grown in the soil of Christ. But secondly, and this is so important and one of the most neglected things in our culture, the fruit of the Spirit is grown in the soil of community. The fruit of the Spirit is grown in an orchard, not in a pot. Together. That's why it breaks my heart that church community is far from a priority in our culture. Far from a priority for Christians today. You cannot practice the fruit of the Spirit in seclusion. You'll be hard-pressed to show love by yourself. I love people. I just don't hang out with them. Makes it way easier. I'm super patient with people as long as I don't spend any time with other humans with any sort of interaction. You can't grow the fruit of the Spirit in seclusion as an individual. Whenever we read through Paul's letters in the New Testament and he is calling for a growth in any of these areas, it's always in community. Always. Ephesians 4.2 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's how you ought to live as the church. 2 Peter 4.8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Romans 14.19, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And this, I don't have the text for this one. I accidentally deleted it. Romans 12.14-18, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Show gentleness and kindness. Live in harmony with one another. Peace. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The fruit of the Spirit is manifest in community. It's through nurturing in our relationships with Christ and Christian community that we will begin to see growth in our lives. Healthy fruit that encourages and supports life, promotes freedom, builds up identity, gives us purpose. So in an attempt to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that truly feeds us, that truly produces life in us, saves us from ourselves and the burden of being our own gods and and lifeless religion, I'm going to ask you to commit to two things over the next two months. Commitment. First is, I want you to commit to allow Christ to do some weeding and some pruning in your heart. Whether it be that you are sharing your heart between two realities, both promising freedom, or if you've practically lived as if Jesus was the gateway to salvation, but you'll leave him back there. Somewhere back there. Invite the Spirit over these next weeks and months to tend to you. 
to do some real work for your own sake and for the sake of those around you. My father-in-law is an amazing gardener. If you ever visit their house, you will, that's the first thing you will notice is how beautiful the garden is. It's why I can't believe he ever visits my home because it's probably the most disgusting thing he's ever seen in comparison. He does hardcore gardening. That's why he's got a, a boot on his foot, a cast on his foot because he had a, an altercation with a rock in his garden. It's ongoing work to keep a garden full of life and to keep weeds out and other things that would try to take over the beauty and the life in the garden. Commit to allow Christ to do some weeding over the next months. Secondly, this is a harder one for people these days. Commit to faithfully attend church and actively pursue Christian community throughout the summer. Could there be a harder time of the year to actively commit to attending church? And I know many of you have vacation, and it's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I think I'll sleep in today. I think I'm talking about World Cup is on, so I'll be home. Temptation, right here, don't worry about it. I was, I was going to do it from home on, my, on Facebook, and just FaceTime you guys. The game literally started 10 minutes ago. This is where we shine the light on all the noise of the world. That's what we do in church. We shine the light on all the noise of the world. This is where we, we cut back the weeds that are making their way in by, by opening up the truth in God's word and speak life to a disillusioned, chaotic world that you and I are going to step into the minute we walk out of this place. This is where that happens. We cannot think that we're going to go into the world and eat without wisdom all the jelly beans they throw at us and not be affected. I know those are big commitments. Are they, though? <laughs> are those really big commitments for, for Christ followers to say, yeah, I'm going I'm to allow Christ to continue working on me, and I'm going to live in community with people who all agree with me and who are concerned to encourage me and build me up and to become more like Christ. Is that a big ask for Christ followers? You don't have to answer it out loud. The fruit of the Spirit is grown in the soil of Christ. Abide in Christ and allow Him, allow Him to abide in you. And it is grown in, in the orchard of the Christian church, in Christian community. So let us wholeheartedly commit to both. Let's pray. God of grace, as I prayed earlier, it, it is so good, it is so... Um, life-inducing to be able to approach a God who, who seeks our betterment. Who, more than anyone else in our life, actually seeks what is best for us. And God, this means something different for each of us in, in whatever we're going to walk into when we leave this place, however we're celebrating Canada Day or, or as we step into our work week and whatever this week. This is going to mean something different for each of us because there's a, there's a liturgy we're being taught by the world. And it's a liturgy of the flesh. It's a liturgy that says, you don't answer to anyone but yourself, and therefore you can come up with how you want to build your own freedom and what that looks like. And so follow down any of these paths you want. And God, many of us, 
Myself, personally, we, we've experienced what it means to chase after targets and have them turn to ash in our mouths and bring no true satisfaction. To follow a mirage only to find our mouths full of sand. Christ, you are our greatest satisfaction. You are our greatest joy. You are our greatest sustenance. So may we have the heart and mind and the spirit to say, take everything else. Take everything else. All I need is Christ. All I need is Christ. I need more of him. I need him to grow in my spirit. I need him to overtake me, heart, mind, and soul. That is our prayer this morning. Holy Spirit, peel away the barriers that we've created, knock down the walls we've created that would keep us from walking in the life that is offered to us through the gospel. And Holy Spirit, if there needs to be conviction with us this morning, areas where we've allowed our our feet to walk down a path which as a Christ follower, we have no business walking down. As people seeking life and freedom, we have no business walking down. Then Spirit, point that out to us and thank you that as you do, as the gentle healer, you reach in and you offer forgiveness so freely, you offer grace and mercy so freely, and that is the life that we want to live in. To serve you not of not because we are compelled by fear, but to serve you in response to your amazing love that you've lavished on us. That is what I pray for each person here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond.